Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. Verse 6, and the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches from the trees and strong them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna. The son of David, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus went into the temple of God, cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple, and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them it is written my house shall be called the house of prayer but ye have made it a den of thieves and the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple and he healed them and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying in the temple, saying, Hosanna, the son of David, they were sore displeased, and said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? And Jesus saith unto them, Yea, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected, thou hast perfected praise. I want to use as a subject something that I want to just call this morning the process of perfecting. The process of perfecting. I want the Lord to minister to us. I want Him to help us. We need His anointing. We know God and His favors is uh, something that is not only helpful, but it's an essential thing for us to be able to be effective in doing the will of the Lord. So why don't you raise your hands one more time and pray with me and together let's touch God for the remainder of this service. Jesus, we thank you so very much for your help, your touch, your blessing that is upon this house this morning for your presence, the visitation of the Holy Ghost that we've already felt here. And I pray, God, that you would continue to move. Your work would be fully done here today. We thank you, God, for this privilege that we have of being in your presence and I pray God it would not only manifest itself in this house but in every heart in the name of the Lord Jesus we pray and would you clap your hands to him in thanksgiving <laughs> hallelujah praise God thank you for standing you may be seated the word perfection is used often in the scripture it's a very familiar word in the Word of God, and uh, I know that we, none of us as human beings, are perfect. 
We all, every one of us, have our blind spots. We have our imperfections. We have our human handicaps, as it were. And uh, this is all of us. This is a, an inclusive thing that every person in this room uh, knows. You know probably better than anybody else what those handicaps are. But even beyond that, God knows better than you do what those imperfections are. But we're all striving for perfection. So I want you to understand that at the outset here this morning is that God does not expect necessarily for us to be perfect, but He does expect for us to strive for perfection. Second Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 1 talks about perfecting holiness in the fear of God. In other words, we're all endeavoring to be more like Him. And if there's one characteristic that could define who God is, if you had to distill it down to just one word, it would be holy. He is a holy God. And so we're striving. We haven't obtained it. We haven't reached it. But we're striving to perfect holiness in the fear of God, in the respect and the reverence of the Lord. We're striving to draw closer to Him. And then in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 5, it talks about the fivefold ministry preceding these verses and names them. And then it says, for the perfecting of the saints. It says that each of these offices have been given to us as gifts to the church for the perfecting of the saints. And each one of these offices of ministry have their role in, in helping hone us and help us to become what we need to be for God and uh, helping us get rid of the impurities of our lives, helping us uh, overcome some areas that we have stumbled in and uh, to go on to greater things in God. Sometimes it's through the teaching of the Word of the Lord that, that God deals with us about certain aspects of our lives and highlights those things to us. The Word of God is like a mirror, the Scripture tells us, and it is reflected back to us. And we observe in that mirror some things that need to be corrected. And so it is with the teaching of the Word of the Lord and a lot the same way with the preaching. But many times we receive the, the extra word of faith that we need that bolsters us and strengthens us to be able to face uh, whatever it is that we may be going through at that particular time. And so it helps us and perfects us. And we need the role of each of these ministries. We need, we need a pastor. We need an evangelist to come by and to uh, revive some things and renew some things through his ministry within us as a church body. Amen. And then we look in the book of Hebrews chapter number 6 and verse 1. And it talks about how that there's essential doctrines and foundations that are laid. And that uh, we, we need to build upon them. We don't need just to stay there. Of course, there is the doctrine of repentance and forsaking of sin. And he said, I, I'm not saying that's not essential, 
Matter of fact, it is essential. But we're to go on from that into perfection. There's the doctrine of baptism. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved. How many believes that here this morning? And there is no remission of sins without Jesus' name baptism. That's, that's when remission takes place. But uh, you, you can't get baptized every Sunday. As good as it felt and as wonderful as it was, you've got to go on from that to perfection. You set your sights on drawing closer to God and being more like Him. And then in 1 John, and I'm just giving you a few examples, chapter number 2 and verse 5, it says, But whoso keepeth his word, and in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby know we that we are in Him. It all starts by us carefully keeping the Word of God. And then the love of God can be manifest in us through keeping His Word and acknowledging and being obedient to His Word. Then things will become manifest in our life. That's why there's no relationship with God outside of the Word of God. I know there's a lot of people coming up with a lot of newfangled ideas, but I'm just going to tell you here and now that none of it, if it doesn't check out with the Word of God, if it cannot be, be founded upon the Word of God, none of it is worth anything. But we've got to have the Word of God and be obedient to the Word of God to see the work of the Lord manifest in our lives. So a lot of these people that are saying how much they love, how much they love, if they're not being obedient to the Word of God, it's not the love of God that is working in them. Can you say praise the Lord? Because the Bible tells us to preach the truth in love. Hallelujah. If you really love somebody, a father that loves his son is going to correct his son. And we have that biblical example. He said the ones that he loves, he chastens. As a father or mother chastens their children, the Lord does also because He loves them. He wants them to reach their fullest potential. He wants them to be saved. He wants them to more than just have a little temporary happiness or satisfaction in this life. He wants them to receive their eternal reward. Hallelujah. Praise God. And you know as a parent that if your child is doing something that may be bringing immeasurable satisfaction to them at the time, but it's not good for them, that you sometimes have to punish them and take it away or reprimand them, but you know it's for their good because you're teaching them a discipline in their life that is going to affect them not only in the immediate, in the present, but it's going to help them in the future. And so the Lord knows what we need. I said he knows what we need and he knows what tomorrow holds. He knows what all of our futures are. Amen. And so I need him to help me and admonish me along the way. And I don't want to chafe at the chastisement of God, but I want to see it as it is. And that is that God loves me and cares enough about me to chasten me at times. But this particular text of Scripture is a monumental moment in the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. We can see here as things are escalating very rapidly towards the end of the Lord's ministry here on earth. And it's evident that 
his central focus is now upon Calvary as he's making his journey towards Jerusalem. And he sends two of his disciples on ahead, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them unto me. And the scripture says the reason why this was done is all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. The disciples went as they was commanded, and they found the colt and brought it to Jesus. It was a colt upon whom never a person had ever ridden upon. And uh, this is what theologians have termed or they have called the triumphant entry of the Lord into the city of Jerusalem. And this, I suppose, is one of those high times uh, that we look to in the ministry of Jesus Christ. A very exciting, exhilarating, exuberant, enthusiastic time when people are very thrilled about the coming of the Lord and uh, His presence being there with them. Not always was His presence welcome. In fact, the closer that He gets to the cross, the closer He gets to that place of total commitment, that place of total consecration, of denial of oneself. In fact, the crowds get narrower. The crowds get smaller. But at this particular juncture, at this particular time, we see that there is a great massive multitude of people as he rides upon this colt and he comes into the city of Jerusalem. The Bible says it this way. It says a very great multitude came out and they begin to pre prepare the way of the Lord by singing Hosanna to the Son of David. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They were in effect giving him high praise. They, they were excited about his entry into this city. We know that Jerusalem is a special place. This was a special city. This was a, a place where God's presence for many years had dwelt uh, between the cherubs of the Ark of the Covenant. And I believe that Jesus' entry into this city of Jerusalem, though this was not his first time to visit this place, that there was something significant that was happening at this particular visit. I believe it begins a process, a process that I will call this morning a process of perfecting, of perfecting. There are some things that I notice that are relative to this particular passage that I want to share with you this morning. First of all, at his coming, there was this praise that we've been speaking about. There was high hosannas. There was singing. There were people that were lifting their voice. There were people that were calling out. And they were rejoicing at the presence of Jesus coming into Jerusalem. In verse 8, I see a differentiation between two groups of people that are gathered here in this multitude. Though there's a great host, 
of people. There are really two groups within that multitude that I want to talk about. There was something that distinguished them. There was a, a line that was drawn between these two groups that I want to talk about today because I often see these two groups of people in any worship service that I attend. First of all, the Bible says in verse 8 uh, that a very great multitude spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches from trees and strawed them in the way. The difference in these groups was that there was one group of this multitude that took off their coats or their outer garments and they laid them in the way. And they prepared, as it were, the way of the Lord, showing reverence to Him. This was a part of their worship unto the Lord. Could I say to you this morning that this was a very expensive gesture for them. As I have studied about garments as it pertains to people in Bible times, I found that many times they only had one change of garment. Not like today. People didn't have a closet full of clothes. People didn't have a, a massive wardrobe. But they had just one outer garment that they would wear and maybe a tunic on the inside of that. And uh, you could identify them by the color or uh, the cut of that particular garment because that was normally what they would wear in their day-to-day -day lives. That's what they went to work in. That's what they went uh, to all of their business meetings in. That's, that's what they went to the synagogue in. That's, that's what they went to family reunions in. That's what they went to funeral services in. It was just one garment. And so you can imagine uh, that this was a costly thing and that they lay their garment down and preparing the way of the Lord. What are you trying to say? I'm telling you that this garment would be trampled upon. It would perhaps, uh, uh, it would perhaps be stained and torn beyond repair. And uh, there would be evidence that they had done this, even if they were able to recover it. The evidence and the markings of what they were doing would forever be upon that garment. It cost them something, in other words, to do what they were doing. While there were others, the Bible uses that word others to distinguish the difference. There were others that the scripture says that cut down branches and they cast them in the way. In other words, there was no personal cost really. There was just the effort of cutting down branches. Uh, uh, we know that they were probably uh, palm branches that were laid in the way so that he could come and this was to show their reverence uh, and at least they did something. But we can safely say that the cost of laying a branch in the way versus laying a garment or coat in the way is quite significant. There was much more sacrifice for that person that laid their coat or a piece of their garment in the way than there was for the person that simply cut off a branch of their tree on the way out of their yard that day on the way down to where Jesus was coming through the street and they laid that down before the Lord. There was a big difference between these two and it was really the sacrifice that was involved. When the Bible talks about praise as it relates to you and I, 
I believe with all of my heart uh, that real true praise, uh, first of all, is sincere. And second of all, requires uh, sacrifice. Amen. If you're going to get the attention of the Lord, if you're going to do it right, if you're going to do it with a pure heart, if you're going to do it with all sincerity, it's got to cost you something. When you come into the house of the Lord, we can all be guilty of just going through the motions. We all know the calisthenics. We all got the timing down. We know we can clap our hands. We can raise our hands and we should do that. And we all know the proper times to do it. But there is sometimes when we come in the house of the Lord uh, that we, we got to let it bubble up from the deep of our heart. A desire that says, Amen, that I'm not going to offer anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me something. Amen, I'm not just going to give my menial ten seconds of praise and move on with the service. But God, if you're asking more of me, I'm willing to give more. I'm willing to do more. Amen, I'm willing to step out. I'm willing, amen, to give praise to you in a way that costs me something. Amen. I don't want it just to be palatable to me and comfortable for me, but I'm here to in, be enveloped in your presence. I'm here to make a way for you to move and do what you need to do in my life. So God, I'm going to give you a sacrifice, a sacrifice of praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. I can't speak for you today, but I didn't come just to, just to throw a garment down in the road or just to throw a branch down in the road and say, well, that's enough. I've done my part. But I, as it were, want to take something that costs me and say, God, I'm giving my best. I'm giving my all. I'm giving my everything to you. Come on, it's really not praise and it's really not defined as worship if you can come and your mind be somewhere else and you're going through the calisthenics of Pentecostal praise that's not true praise amen if you could sing the songs and be thinking about your job tomorrow that's not true praise if you can come here and lift your hands and your voice amen and be thinking about what you're going to do after this service is over that's not true praise but it requires all your mind your soul, your body, everything being involved. God, I'm giving you praise from the depths of my heart and the sincerity of my spirit. I lift up your name because you're worthy to be praised. Amen, 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 amen. Praise God. I think we ought to take a moment right now without a lot of prompting, without anybody cueing us to do it, but out of our heart, out of the desire that we have, I'm going to give praise unto the Lord. Amen, amen, amen. Praise God. I'm going to tell you this that I'm speaking about here today speaks a lot about us as individuals. You can't really separate living from God from a person's worship. You can't separate a person and what they say that they are from their worship. And I don't know where we got this idea that the more mature we become in God, the less that is expected of us in this particular department. 
it should be the other way around. Because the more God has done for you and the more you have to be thankful for, the more you have to be appreciative of, the more you ought to want to come to God's house and give Him the praise that He deserves. Amen. And, and this is where the process that I'm, I'm preaching about today kicks off. This is where it gets started. This is what invites Him in. This is what brings His presence. Amen. The Bible tells us that we need to enter into His gates with thanksgiving, into His courts with praise. Amen. Enter into His gates. That's, that's just the entry into the, into the place where the where the compound was or or that's just the start that's just the beginning we come in and, and we're giving praise and thanksgiving unto God into his courts with praise that's that's where they that's where we're really getting close to him and that's where the work is done and that's where real worship is taking place and that's that's where things are happening amen that's where redemption can take place is right in there in the inner courts. That's where sacrifice was made for sin and sin was taken care of or it was rolled ahead in the Old Testament for another year was in that inner place or in that inner court. How do you get there? Well, you can't get there unless you're willing to praise God. As long as you're superficial, as long as you're shallow, as long as you're just patty-caking along, you'll never get to that inner place where God is really working and where sin can be dealt with in your life and where God can move in the deep of your spirit and God can pinpoint areas of your life amen that need to be corrected that's what church is all about it's not just about us coming here and feeling good it's not just about us coming here and getting our weekly encouragement it's not just about us coming and getting another little dose so we can make it another five or six days that's not what coming to church is about but it's about us getting ready it's about us preparing our hearts for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ or a man of death should close any one of our eyes I want to be ready for the coming of God I want to be ready amen if the Lord was to take me home before he comes I want to be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ amen 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 And so when we come, amen, we begin to praise the Lord. What are we preparing ourselves for? We're preparing ourselves for the Word of God to be able to flow to where there is areas of our lives that need to be perfected. There's areas of our lives that need to be dealt with. There's nobody in this house that's got it all figured out. You can't, you can't afford to stay home today because we're all needing to be perfected. We need the five-fold ministry to preach to us and teach to us and talk Talk to us and deal with us and if need be, rebuke us. Amen. If need be, instruct us in righteousness, whatever the case is. But the only way we can get there is to have a heart that is open to praise God. The only way it can happen is for us to say, I'm here to praise you. And if ever, you can't even get off first base unless you're willing to do this. You can't even get to the next level unless you're willing to do this. This is where it all starts. This is where the process begins. Amen. You can be seated for a moment. Been studying a little bit about processes and mapping out those processes. And it's, it's amazing 
uh, how in-depth this can, can get in, in business and different things. It's amazing. And, 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 and there's areas that, that they teach you to identify. And, and, and one of them is bottleneck areas. Where is it that this thing gets bogged down? Where is it that this, this process needs help? Where is it that this process needs to be redesigned? Where is it that this process needs to, uh, needs to have more personnel, as it were, or whatever the case may be, uh, added to this certain area so that there would not be this bottleneck here? Because it doesn't matter how smoothly it goes before or how smooth uh, everybody's trained after that particular point. If it bottlenecks right here, that has to be fixed. Well, what I'm going to preach about today, it has a potential bottlenecking in every area and every step that I'm talking about. But I'm going to tell you, when it comes to this real, true, sincere, and I want to, I want to underscore that word, sincere, praise unto God, heartfelt praise unto God, that is a bottleneck area. And, 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 and if we're not careful, it'll keep us from getting any further. It doesn't matter how good the preaching is if it bottlenecks there. It doesn't matter how anointed the preacher is if it bottlenecks there. It'll never get to you. The anointing of the Holy Ghost will never get to you. The power of God will never get to you. And so you got to go back and fix it up there and say, God, I want to be a yielded vessel. I want to be a surrendered vessel. I want to be an open vessel. I don't want to get bogged down in this area because I got too much pride. I don't want to get bogged down in this area because I got hidden sin in my life. I don't want to get bogged down in this area because, amen, I'm just not willing or I'm lazy or I'm stubborn or I got a bad attitude or spirit. Oh, no. God, your presence means more to me than holding on to anything like that. I need you to move in my life. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. And so it has to cost us something. There's a sacrifice involved. But the next step of this process is found in verse 10. It said, And all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? True, true praise attracts the presence of the Lord, but it also attracts people. You know, this is a part of evangelism, worshiping and praising and magnifying God. And I'm going to move on from this, but I just want us to get this in our spirit. If you're really interested in seeing souls saved, first of all, we want the atmosphere to be right. You know, those of you that cook and bake and that kind of thing, uh, most time when you're baking baked goods, it'll tell you, go ahead and turn the oven on and preheat the oven to a certain temperature. We want it to be at a certain temperature before you ever put the ingredients inside the oven. It needs to be at a certain temperature. Don't, don't put it in there until you get it preheated because it has potential of, of ruining uh, the product or what you're trying to bake. At best, slowing it down or making it perhaps something different than it was intended to be. So go ahead and preheat the oven 
I'm going to tell you, that's what pre-service prayer is all about. And that's what the preliminaries of the service are all about. When we're worshiping God, we're getting the oven heated up. Amen. Praise God. And so when people come, amen, or there's needs in the house, God is able to minister to those needs. And God is able to work in those needs. And God is able to touch those needs because it's already the atmosphere of the Holy Ghost and the power of God. It's already, if I could say it this way, hot in the Holy Ghost. And, and, and things can be dealt with. And, and God can move. And God can work as a result of us already being at the spiritual temperature that we need to be at. Amen. If we got to spend all service long trying to get up to that certain level then we're, we're losing something but when the, when the power of God is surging through a place and the unction of the Holy Ghost is already there because there's people that are praising the, they understand their role they understand their part you know to be a true praiser it's got to be about more than just you and your blessing because if it's only about you and your blessing then the only time you'll praise Him is when you have a need the only time you'll praise Him when you got a problem the only time you'll praise him is when you got troubles amen but if you you realize that he's worthy whether I got a need or not he, I'm going to praise him according to his excellent greatness God's good every day all the time amen he's worthy every time I come to the house of God amen whether or not I get my prayer answered he's still worthy whether or not I feel like it or not he's still worthy I'm going to praise him True praise alerts people that he's on the move. We don't need to apologize, amen, for true, sincere, heartfelt, God-focused praise unto God. The Bible said all the city was moved. All the city sinners, wicked people, evil people, they still had to take notice. They still got their attention wrapped, amen, when they saw, amen, what was going on in the streets of Jerusalem. Amen. All the city was moved. You know what a move sinners is when they come to this place and it's not dead. It's not lifeless. It's not routine. It's not ritual. It's not just going through the motions. It's not empty. It's not hollow. But somebody from sincerity down deep in their heart is saying, Jesus, I love you. It may have been 35 years ago that you filled me with the Holy Ghost, but it's sweeter today than it's ever been. It may have been 25 years ago that you healed my body but it's more wonderful now than it's ever been I'm going to praise you they were moved amen they were moved amen praise unto God should not be look at me it should be look at Jesus they were preparing the way of the Lord and praise brought him to the temple and it didn't stop there. It didn't stop at the steps of the temple or the entrance of the temple. But the Bible said he went into the temple. Amen. A lot of people like to be in the atmosphere where Jesus is. They like to be in the presence of the Lord. But will you let the presence of the Lord on the inside of you? Because that, when he gets to walking around and scanning and looking and examining things in your life. What's going to happen? 
Praise the Lord. He didn't like what he witnessed there. And he began the process of purging. He cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple, overthrew the tables of the money changers, and the seats of them that sold doves. The word that really sticks out to me is all. He didn't say, well, that's, that's my favorite over there. I'm, I, 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 know, I know we can leave him, and uh, he probably needs a little extra, and we can overlook that. He's not doing as well as some of the others and whatever. He didn't have any preference. All, all, it was all moved out. You know, we all have pet sins. And, and things that we're given to and areas of our lives that we can try to justify. And we all have areas of our lives that we try to, we try to excuse and, and say, well, you know, if these circumstances were different and I was, you know, had a little bit different upbringing or I just have a propensity for this because that's what my mama and daddy did or what my grandparents were involved in and it's just a generational thing you understand and well the Bible said all was purged everything that didn't belong there was removed some people wonder why they can't sustain victory some people wonder I'm in the Holy Ghost right now some people wonder why they can't really get over some things and put it behind them and go on in God to perfection and go on to some other areas. Not that there's not going to be more uh, troubles uh, and challenges and maybe even trials or temptations down the street. But, but, but uh, you know, the reason why they can't progress any further in their journey is because they're trying to hold on to some little something they think God is going to let them buy with. They think that God's not as concerned with. Or this, surely he'll understand. You know, a gracious and merciful God, he'll understand. I've got this weakness. I've got this particular problem in my life. And so, therefore, I, 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 can, I can afford to hold on to this. Uh, amen. I may be able to, to get rid or remove this, this certain thing, but to, to repent fully of this other, I, I just don't know. I, you don't understand how many years this has been ingrained in me to do it this way. You don't understand how long I've harbored this attitude. You don't understand how long I've held on to this spirit and attitude of unforgiveness. You don't know long, how long I've nursed along this grudge and this hurt. And, and you don't understand that it would be a difficult thing for me to give it up now. I'm going to tell you, if you want him to really have his way in your life, your temple, amen, you're going to have to be willing to let it all go. I said you're going to have to be willing to fully repent if you want deliverance, if you want salvation, if you want God to give you victory. If you want God to heal you, you want God to work in you, you want God to answer your prayers. There's a lot of folks that don't see prayers answered and wonder why. And it's no, it's no real mystery why it isn't happening. I could tell you why it isn't happening. It's because you haven't went back and taken care of the things that God wants you to take care of 
and he can't overlook that and do what you need him to do. Amen. He can't move around that and move in your life in the area that you'd like him to. But if you'll say, God, it's no holds bar. I'm yielding everything. I'm surrendering all. I'm opening up every compartment of my heart. Here I am. I'm going to let you finish the process in my life. I'm not just a praiser that's here for the good feeling. I'm not just the one that's going to be out in the street singing, Hi, Hosanna. And then I'm not, I'm not going to turn my back on you when you get to the steps of my temple. But come on in, Jesus. Have your way. Overturn every table that you think needs to be overturned. Move in whatever area of my life that you think needs to be moved in. There's got to be a purging. Amen. And I understand that that makes people cringe. I understand that that makes people think of of it as a detractor or going backwards or reverse. It seems like to talk about purging is kind of like when a church goes through pruning or whatever. People talk about it and say, oh man, I hate to to have to go through that. Why can't we just go on? Well, there's a lot of things that that a branch that is not producing as it should does to the health of a tree. First of all, it takes resources away and it's sapping the strength and the health of the tree down. And if it's just a branch that is sucking out life and it's not giving back fruit, it has to be pruned at at some point or another. Amen. Even Jesus talked about the tree that was the fig tree that was not bearing fruit. And he told the guy to cut it down. And the pastor, as it were, the overseer said, give me another year. Be merciful. And then if it's not bearing at that time, you cut it down. You take it out. You remove it. And uh, sometimes in our lives, there's pruning seasons if I could bring it down to us individually, there's times when it feels like there's more takeaway than there is addition. It, it seems like there's more uh, the sacrifice than is being uh, given to us in the way of blessing. But you know what? God is preparing us for a season of fruitfulness. God is preparing us for a season where He can move and work as He desires. And, and so I don't want to. I don't want to look at that. And, and I've seen people, and I've understood people, people that don't have a lot of spiritual preceptivity. They'll look at that and say, "Well, the, it looks like to me the blessings of God and the anointing of God and the goodness of the Lord and the favor of the Lord is turned against uh, that person or that that place or that people or whatever the case may be." Because they don't understand the pruning process that sometimes has to take place. But if God is bringing a a people to a higher place of fruitfulness, there's always going to be a time of pruning and purging out of things that don't belong. Because the scripture says a little leaven, just a little bit of leaven, leavens the whole lump. All it takes. Now you're trying to say there's got to be sinlessness in the church 
Are you trying to say that there has to be, everybody again has to be perfect in the church for God to be able to bless and move? Absolutely not. Because if you read over there in the book of Revelation, at those churches, they had all kinds of isms and schisms and problems and difficulties and challenges going on. And the Bible still said that he was in the midst of them. It says that he was there in the midst of those candlesticks. But he did tell them, he did tell them, if you, if you want to continue on, you better get this corrected. You better deal with this. If you want me to stay here, this is what needs to be done. And in one case of those in Ephesus that lost their first love, he said, you're, you're threatened to be removed yourself. I may remove your candlestick if you don't repent and return to your first love. Because you've learned how to go through the motions. You've learned how to play church. You look good, but you don't have it in your heart. Amen. You, you come to church pretty faithful, but you don't have a love for me. Amen. You're just going through the motions and you need to be renewed and revived in your spirit. You need something to happen to you down deep to be restored in you again. Amen. That's got to be purged out of you. That, that plasticness, that fakeness. That superficiality, that shallowness has got to be purged out of you. Because a little leaven leavens the whole up. There's a difference between sin that is of omission and sin that is of commission or presumptuous sin. Or what I would go a little further and say that really what is what is defined as iniquity is when a person says, I, I'm going to sin and I'm going to get by with it and I'm planning it out and it's in my heart to do this and I don't plan changing, but uh, I'm going to get by with it and I'm going to fool everybody. And uh, that is iniquity, my brothers and sisters. When you got it down in there and you can come to church and you can put the barriers up, you can cordon your heart off good enough and pad yourself up and you can survive service after service when God's moving and it doesn't affect you anymore, amen, and it doesn't touch your heart anymore. There's a danger in that. There's a real danger. That's, that's what I'm talking about when, when the Scripture refers to searing your conscience with a hot iron. It's when people can come and when the pastor says, come on, folks, let's pray. And you can still diddly-dally around on your iPhone. And you can still do Facebook. There's something wrong with that. There's something wrong with you. It's not the preacher that's wrong. It's you that's wrong. It's you that's got a problem. Amen. When, when we talk about worship and there's almost a bucking that goes on in your spirit against worshiping God, there's something wrong with that. Amen. And the problem is not with the guy preaching that's encouraging worship because he's encouraging the right thing. The problem is with you. I said the problem is with you. Amen. That's got to get purged out of your spirit or you're going to die lost and without God. Amen. If you want to be saved, you got to let some things be purged out from time to time. Come on, how long's it been? I'm not preaching to the new convert, and I'm not preaching to the guest right now, but I'm preaching to you, church. How long's it been since you rolled around in the altar and wrestled down some things in your spirit and let conviction go into every room of your heart and every corridor of your heart? How long?
how's it been since you wept and sobbed in the presence of God and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for my self-will. I'm sorry, amen, for my pride. I'm sorry for saying no to the Spirit of God when it said yield. There has to be a purging because all of us have the propensity. All of us have, you can be seated. All of us have the propensity to drift. What did the scripture say? It said, all we like sheep have gone astray. It's the propensity of every one of us because we're humanity to drift. That's why my grandfather, when he would take me out boating, he taught me how to tie a knot at the dock. Or when we would bring the boat up to the beach, here's the kind of knot. My uncle, who was a horseman, he taught me. He said, this is the way that you tie a knot to secure this horse because we can waste a lot of time when we could be riding out trying to catch a horse if you don't tie that knot right. The boat has a natural propensity to drift. If you don't tie it off, the currents and the, the wind, you know, you, you say, well, it don't seem like it's wind, windy outside. You'd be surprised if you just turned that boat loose adrift in a cove, how much it'll drift out away from you. Remember one time, my cousin and I, we were one evening out on the lake, wasn't nobody out there on the lake. Everybody was in. We'd went out to take a little, uh, little short trip and come right back in. And he said, boy, I'm hot, aren't you? He said, let's, let's dive off in the water real, real quick, and then we'll just jump back up here and we'll take it in. And uh, I don't know what we were thinking. We both jumped off that boat. And when we did, you know, naturally we pushed away from it. And that thing went skeeting across that water. And we were trying to catch it and swim up to it. And we was both exhausted by the time we did. And I thought to myself, how quickly safety can get away from you. How quickly things can move away from you. Amen. It drifts over time. Can I just be real honest with you in the Holy Ghost? I feel in the Holy Ghost as strong as I have in a long time right here this morning. There's some folks right here I'm preaching to this morning. You're on a drift and have been on a drift. And you need to get a hold of some things in your life. And it's going to take some intention on your part. It's going to take some intention on your part. One thing they teach in science is that chaos doesn't on its own become order. But order left to itself can become chaos. And the only way to keep order is to keep being intentional about whatever it is. The only way you can keep order is you've got, to keep, you've got to keep it from becoming chaotic. You've got to keep the plan and work the plan. Some people say, oh, I think I can get by without prayer. You can't get by without prayer. Somebody say, well, I think I can get by with, with, with just a little less church. You can't get by with a little less church. 
You're on a drift, sir. You're on a drift, ma'am. It's going to affect your mind and the way you're thinking. I said it's going to affect the way you're thinking. You're going to start justifying things. And let me just tell you something about this justification stuff. It's the first step towards being a reprobate is when you start justifying sin in your life. Then there's no help for you. There's no hope for you. It's not because God is not merciful. It's not because God doesn't reach until you walk out the door. But you have seared something in your own mind. You become justified in your own spirit. You you get the attitude that I'm right and the whole world's wrong. The preacher don't know what he's talking about. The man of God, he's lost his marbles. It's not me that's lost my mind. I'm going to tell you, you better let the Holy Ghost convict you today. You better let the Spirit of the Lord knock on your heart's door today. Lest you drift away from the truth of God's Word. Amen. You see this little steady thing that takes place. Drifts because they're not being intentional. First of all, it's Wednesday night's dispensable. Then Sunday night's dispensable. And then it's every other Sunday morning. Hey Amen. I'm all right with being quiet. That's fine. I feel in the Holy Ghost today. And then I can back off from doing this, and I don't have to be involved in that. I'm going to tell you, you can see in people's lives when they're not involved in the work of God. You have to be involved in the work of God in some way, shape, or form. I know we don't all do the same things, but we have to be involved in the work of God. Amen. You say, well, I, I'm just I'm here in church. That's all that matters. Well, that does matter, but that's not all that matters. You've got to be involved in outreach to souls and in evangelizing the lost in some way, shape, or form. Reaching people, being sensitive to people. And the only way you can do that is by being clean in your heart towards God for God to prompt you and you to feel the need of talking to somebody about God. Amen? Let the Holy Ghost work on you. and Let the Holy Ghost speak to you. and Let God talk to you. Let God deal with you. It's imperative if we're going to make it. Amen. And, and, and it's so necessary for us to realize that we can so, just as a serpent beguiled Eve, the Bible says. There's a subtle spirit of deception to question things and say, well, I know that's what we've always preached and what we've always believed, but is it really necessary? I'm going to tell you now is not a time to let question marks start forming in your mind. It'd be a tragedy for you to get down here in the last hundred yards of, of this race or so and to bail out on God now and start excusing and start trying to redefine what it takes to be saved at this point. I'm going to tell you, if it's blessed your life and been good to you to this point, you best stay with it. I said you best keep running. You better keep with it. Keep doing the will of God. The Bible said to make your calling and election sure. Come on, how certain is it? Is there questions in your mind? I don't have to go on with my message this morning. I can just stay right here if I need to. But this purging stuff's got to be done. We've got to clean some things out. We've got to get some things ready. We've got to open up our hearts and say, God, there's not a hidden place in me. I'm not... I'm not reserving any place that you cannot come into 
and, and, and examine because I do want to be right. I do want to be right. How about our motives? Is there a sanctification of our motives? Why we do what we do? Do we do it for the right reasons? Do we worship for the right reasons? Do we, do we come to the house of God with the right motivation and the right reason in mind? Is, first of all, I want to be saved. I want my family to be saved. But I also want to see other people saved. I, I want to see other people receive from God. I, I don't want to close this in just to me and my, my group and what I'm interested in and those whom I know and whom I love the most and all of that. But i got to be open. Amen. I'm going to tell you if God's will's done, this church is going to have folks that are not going to, they're not going to look like you, talk like you, act like you, and do everything you like. Amen. But if it's the will of God, there's going to be people from every tongue, kindred, that will come into this house. Every soul that is represented in this, in this city. Amen. Amen. From every background and every social level and every economic level, they're welcome at these altars. And I want them to know they're welcome at these altars. And not only do I want to make a place for them, but I want to be welcoming to them. And I want to make them feel like they can come here also and find God. They can come here and find a friend. They can come to this house and find people that love and care about them. Here's my feeling. If we do that, God will take care of those that we've been praying about. God will work in those situations where we need Him to. Amen. He said, all of this has got to go. You can't hold any of this back. You've got to let it all be dealt with. And then, in verse 13, he makes this statement. He said, it is written, My house shall be called the house of prayer. He wanted to reestablish something. This is not the house of architecture. This is not the house of singing. This is not the house of sermons. This is not the house of fellowship. This is not the house of drama. This is not the house, and you fill in the blank. This is not just where there's an administrative apparatus that goes on that's padding all these priest pockets. No, that's not what this is about. This is a connect point with God. This is the house of prayer. You've changed it. You've perverted it into being something else, but this is... The house of prayer. Praise the Lord. And this is a place where people can come and freely find God and talk with God and spend time in the presence of the Lord. And he said, when this is reestablished, notice what the next verse says. The very next verse or two there, it talks about how that the lame came and they were healed. And, and the Bible says that, that miracles begin to happen. The blind eye was opened. In other words, when the process of praise, amen, and the process of purging and the process of prayer had done its work, then there was power that followed. There was anointing that followed. There was signs, in other words, that followed. There was, there was something that took place that was identifiable. Miracles 
that hadn't been happening around there suddenly began to happen. Lame started walking and blind folks started seeing. Miracles started taking place. Why? Because they allowed the process that they should have been allowing all along to take place in their life. When we come and we get our motives purified, when we come and we start praying and seeking God, we can expect there to be miracles. We can expect blind eyes to be open. Not just physically, but I'm talking about people that come in blinded by the powers, the prince of this world that's blinded their eyes. When they come through these doors, suddenly they said, this is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been searching for. This is what I've been hungry to have. Amen. I found it in the house of God. I found it because I can feel the power of God in this place. Would you stand with me right now? Let's lift up our hands to heaven and let's cry out to Him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Let it stir me. Let it move me. God, I pray, Lord, that there's some live coals beneath the ash and down deep in the bed of our heart. Could be stoked up a little bit here tonight or today. Could be wrestled around a little bit, moved around. You'd kindle a fire once again in us. You'd restore something in us. You'd let something happen deep down in our spirit because we've got to have the power. Is anybody hungry for the anointing and the power of God to be manifest? Anybody got some prayers you'd like to see answered and things you'd like to see God do? Come on, raise your hand. Amen. I I believe everybody here. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, if you're willing to open up your heart here today, if you're willing to open up your spirit to it here today, if you're willing to open up your mind to what's happening here today, I know the Lord placed this in my heart for some folks here that He's trying to rescue. Bible talks about in the last day the love of many shall wax cold. I'm talking about those that used to be fervent. Those that used to be red hot for God. Those that used to burn bright. Those that had such a fervent desire. Bible talks about that waxing cold. Talks about a gradual thing that's happening. Didn't happen immediately. Didn't happen with a snap of the finger. Wasn't that somebody just ran out and was suddenly head over heels in gross sin. A little bit here they caved in. A little bit there they capitulated. And over here they compromised some convictions. Over here they allowed 
an intrusion of the enemy. Maybe just the spirit of this world that can wear us down. The Bible talks about there was one spirit that wore down the saints of the Most High. In the book of Daniel, I believe it was. And it was not identified. It didn't have a name. But it just wears people down. I'm going to tell you, the devil knows he's got all of eternity. And he doesn't care how long it takes to get your worship. He doesn't take, care how long it takes to get your prayer life and your consecration, your commitment, your faithfulness. He's never going to stop. He's going to keep on until he tries to wear you down, grind you down. Somebody needs to get intentional and say, God, I can't allow that to happen. i got to pray through today. I got Some of you hadn't prayed through, I dare say, in a long, long time. It's been forever since you spoke in tongues. It's been forever since you came to this altar like a sinner and got on your knees and said, God, forgive me. It's been forever since you poured your heart out until it was just empty and said, God, there's nothing left. Here it all is. I'm yours. It's been forever. You can gloss over it all you want to, but I'm getting down the brass tacks this morning. I'm getting down to where I feel in the Holy Ghost that we need to be. And some of you, amen, if you're not careful, you're going to make decisions and choices and you're going to do things, amen, because you're not in the Holy Ghost. You're thinking in the flesh and you're thinking according to your own will and not to the will of God and what's right. Amen. You're going to do things that you're going to regret in years to come and months to come. Amen. Because you just haven't thought it through in the Holy Ghost. You hadn't prayed about it like you should. You haven't relented to your to the will of God and you've held on to your will. Every table has to be turned over. Every seller of dove has to leave. Every money changer has to go. You can't hold on to parts of it. Come on. I wonder if there's somebody to say, not my will, but thine be done. Come on, if Jesus could wrestle in the garden for hours over his will, I think it'd be safe to say that you and I had to wrestle over ours a few times. If Jesus had to spend hours praying to get broke through his human will and say, Nevertheless, thy will be done. I think we'd have to spend some time in the altar pouring our hearts out to God. Come on, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Because we can all get relaxed. And we can all get comfortable. We can all get complacent. We can all start justifying things. We can all start saying, well, I, I've just got this and that and the other. And that's why I'm not nearly as committed as I used to be. And pray as much as I used to pray. I'm going to tell you, that's an excuse all of us could justifiably use. God's reaching for somebody here this morning. God's sincerely talking to someone's heart. God's trying to rescue somebody here today. Come on, I feel like I'm throwing out a lifeline to somebody here. Please don't call it up and throw it back up at this pulpit. But take hold of it and let us help you and pray with you. and Let's get some things right. Let's purge some things out. Let's get the leaven out. Because it's affecting every part of your life. That little thing that you think is so minuscule, it's affecting everything. 
about your prayer life. It's affecting everything about your walk with God. That little bit of anger, that little bit of unforgiveness, that that little bit of lust, that little bit of impure thoughts. That little bit of dwelling on the wrong things. That little bit of rebellion against what is right. That little bit of stubbornness. It's never big things. He said to the rich young ruler, One thing thou lackest. Come on, the money changer has to go. Hallelujah. God told Abraham, He said, He said, the bondwoman and her son, as many emotional ties as there must be, as much as you may have affection for it, it's got to go. It's got to go. It's got to be removed from my promise to be fulfilled. It's got to go. You got to deal with it. You can't keep glossing over it. You can't eat, keep acting like it doesn't exist. You can't keep on having church around it. You keep, you can't keep on moving and operating like everything's okay, Abraham. Come on! You got to see the promises of God fulfilled and the only way you can is to get rid of the thing that you're holding on to. Justify it in. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Search me, God. Search me, God. Search me, God. Search me, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.